Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Audio Podcast. Well, as I record this podcast, it is the first week of September in 2015. I love this time of year because everybody's heading back to school, people are going back to university, people are going to first grade, tearful little children are going to kindergarten for the first time. I like schools, I like the fall, I like the, what school brings to our lives if it's done well, and, and I like uh, the, the whole idea of helping the young especially learn how to learn and to grow. And I'm especially sensitive to it, and especially enjoy talking about it because I did not do very well in school. Uh, when I was younger, I think maybe just emotional factors, probably some um, you know physical factors, some other things, social issues, uh, the fact I was a military brat moving around all the time, I just did not do well in school. And it was agonizing. I remember crying myself to sleep. I remember my parents having to have late night conferences. I remember me, you know, I don't want to go to school, you know, that kind of stuff. And a lot of it was resolved later on. Uh, with some very simple principles. Now, I may have outgrown some mental dysfunctions as I entered into adolescence, and uh, there may have been some other factors, but really it came down, my increased performance, increased enjoyment uh, came down to learning some basic principles of learning. And And I just can't stand it when the fall comes around, and I haven't had a chance to share that with people. Because so many people over the years, as I've shared these things, have, have written in and said, you know, wow, this was this just changed our family culture. This this allowed my childhood never been able to learn to learn this. This this made it all fun for us. And I really think it can be that way, because the reality is, unless there is some biochemical dysfunction, uh, imbalance, unless there is some mental imbalance, unless there's some other kind of psychiatric issue, most kids most students can do dramatically better by implementing some basic principles of learning into their lives. And so as the school year begins this year, uh, I want to share the ones that meant the most to me. Now, these are not in, in any particular order, and I'm not going to give a whole lot of stats and science behind them. But you can go on the internet, you can look up some of the major sites where they provide research for these things, and you will find that uh, these things make a huge amount of difference, and you can drill down as far as you want to into the technical. I'm going to keep it fairly broad. Uh, Number one, the thing that made the biggest difference for me was that someone finally in my academic career taught me about modalities. Now, this is a a very simple thing. The educators listening are, of course, shaking their heads and saying, well, of course. And it's always in contention, and researchers are always debating how significant it is. Uh, But let me tell you that in my own life, uh, to learn how I learned best made a big difference, and then to learn how to feed that best way of learning uh, absolutely transformed education for me. And here it is. It's very simple. We teach it to kids even in the Sunday school in the early grades. Uh, the fact is that most all of us have certain of our senses uh, tied to our intellectual activity in such a way uh, that some of us are dominant uh, one sense over the other. And this is what modalities is all about. It's basically, as we sometimes teach children, the gates through which information comes. Um, I, for example, am highly, highly visual, which means that my thinking processes, the ways I learn, the ways I think, the ways I express myself are highly connected to my eyesight. 
Uh, I, I, it's very important that I see in order to learn. I remember visually when people watch me speak, they notice that I use my hands a lot and I'm, and I have my arms open and I'm looking at them and I'm engaging them visually and I'm getting, looking for a nod of the head when I say something important, you know, I'm very, very visual. My memory is visual. I learn primarily by reading and seeing and doing things on my own. I'm not going to enjoy a class uh, where I can't see well or where the teacher's not that interesting physically. I don't mean personally attractive, but they don't move. They don't put things on the board. They don't, you know, uh, have some variance in that way. Uh, Other people, like my wife Bev, for example, are highly auditory. Uh, Their mental function is primarily connected, not exclusively, but primarily connected to their audio channel, uh, their audio abilities, their auditory system. Uh, So my wife, for example, uh, learns by listening, uh, remembers through listening, um, and and retains uh, basically audio files in her mind. She can really tell a story about something that somebody has said without almost replaying that person's uh, exact uh, vocal intonation. She, some people might think she's mocking. What she's really doing is replaying the tape in her mind. Um, it, it's, it's wonderful to know this about yourself. It's very, very helpful. Uh, these are the two dominant ones, by the way, auditory and visual. Uh, some people are kinesthetic. It means they're highly physical. Uh, it means they feel things in their emotions. Uh, it means they are, they are, there's a strong connection between emotions and body. And uh, they, when they're stimulated, even with an idea, it takes on a, an emotional and a physical form. That's fine. Uh, but it's a little bit more difficult to tame in school. We often treat kids like they're somehow retarded or strange when this is them. But many times uh, these people are the dancers. These people are the artists. These people are the sometimes even the athletes, um, the poets, perhaps. So we don't want to d- diminish them. Uh, there are some who are super rational. Now, the best way to think of the super rational is the absent minded professor. Uh, you aren't probably dealing with many academic problems with this particular person, um, but some are super rational. And, and the, way, the reason I mention ac- absent-minded professor um, is that a super rational person is a person who's highly intelligent, uh, but as a result of being so focused on their mental processes and their thoughts, they often aren't aware of what's going on around them. It's why we had professors who wore you know, lime green pants and purple shirts in college, uh, or they've got two shoes that don't match, or they can't remember where they parked their car, uh, but they are computing how to get a rocket to Mars. That's super rational. And you don't have to be exclusively super rational. You can be partially super rational. I'm not complimenting myself when I say that I, my two dominant modalities are visual and super rational. Um, it doesn't mean that I'm brilliant. It just means that my thoughts um, pull me in, consume my attention, and uh, very much can tend to disconnect me from my normal channels of information. And then finally, there are people who are gustatory olfactory. And this just simply means that their sense of taste and smell are more refined and and developed than others. Um, Sometimes these people become chefs. Uh, Sometimes these people become, uh, you know, uh, experts in wine, things of that, you know, sommeliers and what have you. Uh, It's not a curse. Doesn't mean they can't learn intellectually. It usually just means that those senses have to be satisfied in some way. So one of the best things that you can do for a student and do for yourself as you're trying to learn is to pay attention to 
which of these modalities is dominant with you, and then you begin to feed it. Now, I can't take a lot of time with this now, but but basically, if, if you find that you're auditory and you're in school, you want to sit where the auditory experience is going to be satisfying, maybe near the speaker in the classroom or maybe up front if there's no speaker. Um, you want, if you're visual, you want to, ch- if you have a choice of five different teachers for a subject, choose the one who's the most physically dynamic, the one who's going to move around, the one who's going to yell, scream, throw things, put things on the board, use a lot of visual aids, things like that. You, you see what I'm saying? Once you know how you learn, then it becomes uh, fairly easy to figure out how best to teach yourself. I teach, for example, people who are highly auditory to not try to memorize a list by just staring at it, but by saying it out loud. But why? Because they remember best through the ear gate as we teach the two-year-olds. So all that to say, figure out the modality of those in your family, those you have influence over, certainly your own modality, and begin to work in that direction. It makes a huge difference. There's another small principle I talk about. It's real technical and, and you know, not the kind of interesting, sexy kind of thing that most people want to uh, talk about when it comes to education, but it makes a massive difference. And that is the principle of review. We have a style of learning among students today where they basically store up notes for three months and then jam it all into their brains in an all night session before taking an exam. And they think that's going to produce learning. It's not only a more stressful way to learn, uh, it also doesn't produce good results long term. It's terrible preparation for college, terrible preparation for life, um, and it doesn't it doesn't make uh, it doesn't make the educational experience very enjoyable. If we can all begin to put in practice a principle of review in everything that we do, I think we'll find dramatic results. For example, a student attends a Tuesday morning class on, say, history. And normally that student wouldn't do anything about that class until the next class, I'm using a college schedule now, which might be Thursday morning. However, if that student, having taken that class on Tuesday morning, will find a little time sitting by themselves to review their notes by the end of Tuesday, and maybe on Wednesday, but better on Tuesday, they will arrive at class on Thursday far more prepped, far more aware of what it was taught, uh, and far more uh, conscious of the material so that they can connect the new material to it when they listen. Uh, this is important. In fact, the, the, the pattern that I use is I will review a class I've attended, a seminar, whatever, uh, the same day. Then I'll review again sometime before the next class. So in my example, I would have taken the class on Tuesday, reviewed my notes and the content by the end of the day, and then probably get up on Thursday morning and review again before I go to class. Well, this sounds like a lot of extra work. It's actually a whole lot less work than having to study it all at one time in a big bunch or you know, just accumulating notes for three months and then taking an exam because actually what I'm doing is I'm layering the material. In a 10-minute review session, I can make sure the material's understood and clear in my mind. And then when new material comes, it's like, it's like I've created a Velcro connection between the two classes. There's a connection that can happen uh, because the previous material is fresh in my brain. There's a lot of material online about reviewing, but I'm telling you, to review before and after classes, uh, to review before and after uh, material that you learn, even in your professional life, to review things, uh, board notes from board meetings, etc., makes a massive difference, and it removes the need to have a cram memorizing session, which we know statistically will simply cause the stuff to leak out of your ears 48 hours later after you've taken the exam anyway. What you want to do is layer it so that not only do you understand it and enjoy learning it more, but it also lasts longer. 
This is actually connected to a third principle that I think is extremely important, and that's note-taking. Again, this isn't all that exciting stuff to talk about, but basically, most people who take notes try to take transcripts rather than notes. A transcript is trying to write everything down. You'll never be able to do it. You can tell how fast I talk. I'm typical of a, of a teacher or professor type. If you tried to write down everything I was saying right now, you'd get lost and frustrated. Instead, think of the mind as a great big chest of drawers or a file cabinet. And if you can just put down on paper the basic facts, those facts will be enough to open the drawers of memory in your brain. So you want to listen to this one-hour lecture by this teacher or the professor, write down the relevant points as briefly as you can. You know, Napoleon, 18-whatever, Elba, you know, French this, did that, battle of that. Uh, write down little things. And if the, if the professor says something funny or there's something funny that happens in class, I sometimes even write that down because it will be a memory aid. It'll bring back to my mind what was happening in class. What we have to do is trust our minds that if we're listening and we're just giving our minds a few prompts in our notes, we will be able to remember. Notes are not meant to tell us everything that was said. Note-taking is about writing down what will help us remember. And if we're combining uh, easier, a a little bit sparser notes with the principle of review, this is the art. This is more fun. It's less pressure. We learn it better. And I tell you what, we'll do really well. Now, let me switch from some of the technical kinds of things and let me talk about a more of an emotional thing, which, by the way, is known to have a huge impact even beyond some of what I'm talking about. My fourth point is a thing I call the favor factor, the favor factor. We have a tendency in our education to uh, sometimes allow kids to get in kind of a, a contention with their teachers, to develop a certain amount of animosity, almost as though the teachers are the enemy. But statistics show that where a student actually engages the teacher on a positive level, introduces themselves, hi, I'm looking forward to being with you this this semester. I'm not very good at this subject. Can you tell me some things I can do better? Can I come to your office hours and talk with you? I just I just want to do well and you know, I don't want to take up a lot of your time. And there's some kind of relationship between the two. There's positive exchange. There's favor. That's why we call it the favor factor. Favor just meaning a good vibe between the two rather than the sort of competition, you know, teachers holding out on students and students hating the teachers and egging their car. Uh, if, we can, if we can make that kind of thing happen, I'll tell you what, something pretty, pretty great happens educationally. A lot of what goes wrong in education is that there is a sort of a competition or a contention between student and teacher. Uh, this is on both of them. This is, this is something that need, we need to battle. But there's no question about it. If a student, especially in the upper grades, will work towards a positive relationship with the teacher and solicit the teacher's help, tremendous things begin to happen emotionally, psychologically. Students instantly begin to absorb more in class. It's pretty amazing. There is a thing called circadian rhythms, C-I-R-C-A-D-I-A-N, circadian rhythms. I'm not going to be able to develop it all right now, but basically everybody's body wants to rest, sleep, be awake at certain times of the day. And those things are influenced by everything from food to sunlight to etc. The problem with school is that you usually have to be in a certain place at a certain time. And for some reason, it's like, two in the morning or something. And the, the, what you want, what we want to do is tame our circadian rhythms, is recognize our natural tendency and uh, work with it if we can, uh, challenge it if we can't, uh, but, but, but win. Uh, if, I, if you leave me alone, if my wife leaves town, you leave me alone, I am going to stay up until one or two in the morning. It's just what my body wants to do. 
obviously I can't let that happen if I've got a 750 class every morning of the week. So I have to tame my circadian rhythms. I have to get up in the morning. I have to actually get up a little bit earlier in the morning so that I can wake myself up, so I can make myself think um, and, and be awake by the time I get to school. I have to realize that I'm, that I'm battling my natural body clock, which is really what it is. Everybody has one, and it's affected by a lot of things, food, taste, light, all kinds of things. I won't go into it all now. But pay attention to your circadian rhythms. Those who naturally get up early in the morning uh, tend to do better in school. Uh, those like me who naturally tend to stay up late and then sleep late tend to be labeled lazy. We're not. We're just on a different rhythm and tend to have to sort of work against uh, that, that system. So tame it early. Uh, parents, if you're working with a child who sleeps late and stays up late, help them tame that. Along about July, August, help them start adjusting their, their, their schooling. It can be changed. You're not imprisoned in a certain circadian rhythm. But these things are real. Uh, they're so real that they cause airline pilots to have problems with them. Um, they are, they are the kinds of things that you have to tame your entire life. And those who can tame them and shift them around a little bit more, uh, tend to be more successful because they can, they can recover, for example, from an all night flight and do a great presentation in, you know, Moscow or London or, or, or Tokyo. Uh, but those who are not very flexible when it comes to their circadian rhythms really can battle exhaustion and disorientation a good chunk of their lives. Um, Number six on my brief little list here is very simple, and that is that you need to learn to mark a book as you read it. I know we're told when we're in school not to mark our books, not to write in the books, but that's some of the worst advice that we can possibly have. And now with the advent of digital books, we have great tools for marking books, and the most eBooks will actually create a little index of your comments and your markings at the back of the book. Uh, when you read, uh, it's a great habit to mark the book, to have the little symbols that you use, an asterisk means this, an underline means that, circling a word means this, writing little interaction notes on the right, I think this is silly, I can't seem to do this, what does this mean, that kind of thing. Uh, have a little symbol that you attach to a word that you don't understand. You, you see what I'm saying. Um, when you read, you want to be able to go back over what you've read and review the salient points, the main things, the stuff that's important, the stuff that touched you. If you'll mark it, you can take a chapter that took you an hour to read and review it in 10 minutes because you're mainly looking at your markings. This is one of the skills of high grades and of learning. Uh, there, there is another uh, issue too, uh, number seven, very, very important, and that is it's the entire vision factor. People will learn better when they have a vision for the material. And this is one of the things I think that schools sometimes don't do very well. I can get almost any 10-year-old boy excited about history if I can talk to him a bit about the things that captures his imagination. Cowboys, Indians, race car drivers, going to the moon, um, you know, taming a new continent, going down a river for the first time, being the first white guy to go down a river in a canoe, marrying an Indian squaw. I mean, whatever our imagination can run to. And uh, often we don't give students vision for material. I think teachers ought to stand up at the beginning of the semester and say, you hang with me. Here's what you're going to be able to do by the end of the semester. And here's what it means for your life. Those of you guys who aren't interested in math, let me tell you what you can do with your car if you, if you will learn. Those of you who aren't interested in this certain area, let me tell you what girls are going to think in about two years or what this will mean for college or how this will affect your, your football playing. 
I think the vision factor is critical. What is the vision for the material? And everybody, whether they mean to or not, is, whether they express it or not, is walking around thinking, gosh, why is this important? Why do I have to learn this, especially students? So I strongly urge you to consider the vision factor. And parents, this is where you can really play a role. If, you know, even if a teacher just dives in on the first day of class and starts teaching the details, uh, the, the, the down and dirty details, you can talk vision and inspire your child to learn. A few more things then. Uh, one of the things that is absolutely critically important in the performance of a student is parental involvement. I can't tell you how important this is. And by this, I mean two things. Number one, be excited about and be involved in the material. Read it. Talk about it. Talk about how exciting it is. Teachers will often teach the nuts and bolts, but parents can come around and say, oh, man, I remember when I learned that. I, I know one kid, for example, who hated math. And then when he finally got to a certain age, his father looked at his textbook with him and said, oh, you know what this does? That's what allows me to get the plane in the air and took his son up over the weekend on a plane and explained how this principle of math allowed the plane to achieve lift. Well, it changed that young man's entire orientation. And now, believe it or not, he's both a pilot and a math professor. Uh, what I'm trying to say is parents are the ones, if they'll participate in the process, not just be the ones who pressure for grades, but participate, learn with, re-articulate the material, they can really make it fun, they can make it learnable, they can give a vision, and they can be very much involved. And part of that being involved is that the parent knows the teacher. When a parent takes time to know the teacher and have communication with the teacher and bridge the gap for the student, there are not only higher grades, but more enjoyment, less stress, and longer-term learning, meaning that it's retained for a longer period of time. For a lot of years, my parents weren't that involved in my formal schooling uh, because they were busy. And then I began to have some problems in junior high. So my father, <laughs> you can imagine how this uh, jerked the slack out of me, as they say, my father in his full-decked military uniform showed up in the classroom and sat and listened to my little gray-haired teacher talk about what I was good at and what I wasn't good at and how I could be helped. And he came out, my father came out and said, well, you know what she said? I expected to be spanked, by the way. What she said is that you're a smart kid. Uh, who just doesn't know some things about learning. So I'm going to teach you. And my father, you know, got in his gym clothes, got down on the floor, taught me some things, taught me how to learn, and things began to turn around at that point. But it was because he connected personally with the teacher. And also, I stopped coming home griping about the teacher and began to see her as an ally, uh, began to see my parents on a, in a united front with my teacher. It was a transforming experience. Okay, two more things. One of the most important things in the whole issue of learning, especially for uh, high school and for elementary school, and especially for males, is exercise. There is a very, very strong connection between exercise, between getting exercise, between doing athletics and learning. This is essential. Mind and body do go together, and especially growing minds and bodies. And in my case, where I'm highly um, physical, I'll say for just to put it in shorthand, when I was growing up, if I didn't have a chance to go beat on a tree or knock somebody down on a football field or, you know, get, get wild for a moment, too much energy was being stored up by requiring me to sit in the classroom all day. This isn't the natural state of boys, and I don't think of girls either. So exercise, sports, discipline, 
uh, the ability to hit something, blow something up, run down a court, stuff, stuff a basketball, something like that. All of that uh, is extremely, extremely important. And I want to say one more thing uh, that, that was immensely helpful to me. I know this has gone a little bit long, but I think this will help some of you in your studies this fall, college, university, grad school, uh, all the way down to the earliest grades. I, I want to urge you that other, unless you're in law school or business school, uh, that study groups are usually a failed thing to pursue. Study groups are not great. People do not learn in groups. What does work is testing groups. Get together with some friends who are studying the same subject, test each other for a short amount of time, then go back to your room, your house, wherever you are, and learn what you need to learn on your own. And then maybe come back together again for a testing group. Studies show that people do not learn in groups. They test each other in groups. They learn largely alone. So be careful about the deception of study groups. Many a kid, many a college student has failed a class, blown a class because they assumed the group could get them where they could not go on their own. It's not true. Study alone, test each other in groups, encourage each other in groups, share ideas in groups, but study alone. Now, these are the 10 things that made the biggest difference for me. There may be some others that make a big difference for you. The main issues is are these be deliberate about it have a strategy involve parents uh build relationships with teachers and instructors they're not there to destroy your life they're there to help you learn some are better than others find the good ones and use the techniques that we now know fit with the way that your mind and your emotions your body works get a vision for the material enjoy the material Uh, don't create animosity in your educational process. Don't hate your school, hate your classes, hate your teachers. Try to find fun with them. Take them an apple to put it humorously, you know, build a little bit of fun relationship and involvement and enjoy learning. These techniques work. They've changed a lot of lives and they took me from a frustrated kid in about the fifth grade to someone who is, you know, got a couple of masters and a doctorate. Nobody believed me who knew me in the fifth grade thought that was possible. And it was, I didn't have some big surgery. I didn't have a, you know, a a brain transplant. I simply learned how to learn and some people I loved got involved with me and helped me to become a learner. And that's what we're trying to accomplish. Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times bestselling author, a popular speaker, and a frequent faith and culture commentator on CNN, Fox, and the Huffington Post. His groundbreaking books on faith and society include The Faith of George W. Bush, The Search for God in Guinness, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and The Miracle of the Kurds. You can learn more about Stephen at stephenmansfield.tv and greatman.us and connect with him on Facebook, and on Twitter under the name Mansfield Writes. The Stephen Mansfield Podcast is produced by Isaac Darnell, who also wrote, performed, and produced the Rockin' Podcast theme song. Be sure to rate the Stephen Mansfield Podcast in the iTunes Store. This is a Chartwell Literary Group production.